from the scripture reading this morning, Ephesians 5, verses 7 and 8. Be ye, be not ye therefore partakers with them, because you were sometime, once upon a time, darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. So my title is Children of Light. And there'll be two points that'll come under this heading, these two verses being sort of the central point of verses 3 through 14, which we'll be looking at. And in the first half, where Paul draws the conclusion, therefore, don't partake with them, don't be a joint participant with them. He's going to talk about six vices that we should not participate in, and he's going to give us two reasons whereby we shouldn't, the motivation, and then he'll draw the conclusion of verse 7. Therefore, don't share, don't participate, don't be a joint partner with them. Now, Ephesians 3, 6, Paul used that word. The Gentiles, the mystery uh, that God has hidden in ages past is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, the same body, and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel. So Paul's argument is, you're now a joint heir, you are a joint participant in the promise of eternal life in the same body. And you became that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of truth. Now then, being rescued by the gospel, don't share in these six vices. And Paul narrows it here, I think, because the culture of Ephesus was obsessed, like ours is, with these six vices. And some in the church had been drawn back into the darkness. And Paul is speaking to to give them rescuing grace, to pull them back into the orbit of the Son of Righteousness, whose gravitational pull keeps us in check through His glory. Then transition, Paul is saying, it's not just enough to avoid and not participate. You must be transformed. And often that's our problem, isn't it? Well, I didn't do that. I'm not doing that. So all should be well. No, in fact, you then must be children of light and walk as children of light. And then Paul will give two, uh, two points or will use two points in what Paul says beginning in verse 9 or 8 rather through 14. One is, children of light, they prove what is acceptable to the Lord, and children of light expose what is unacceptable to the Lord. Proving what is acceptable to the Lord, you'll find that in verse 10. And then verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose or reprove them. So what do we do as light? We are testing what is pleasing to God. What is that? That's what light does. And light exposes the works of darkness rather than engage and participate with them. Why? Because you were sometimes darkness. But now, by the grace of God, you are light. So be light. Walk as light. Get out of the darkness. Flee from it. And go back into the darkness as light of the Lord. You are light in Christ. It's reflective light, but because you're in Christ now, 
Jesus, who's the light of the world, now the church is the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. And so that's kind of what, what, uh, where we're going and how I think Paul is, is unpacking this subject of children of light. So let's begin in verse 3 with the six vices. Six things that Paul says, don't partake with them. Don't have fellowship with them. So Paul transitions in verse 3 by saying, but. He has said, walk in love, be imitators of God and walk in love, but. How does the world define love? See, Paul is going to clarify, lest we misunderstand what love is. Love in the world is, you satisfy your own desires, because that's what God would want, right? He's a God of love. And as a God of love, He wants you to be happy. And if you want to be happy, then you act upon your own desires. And so you love whom you will, you love with whom you will, and love then becomes man-centered rather than God-centered. Love is human-centered and rather than Bible-centered. Truly, God does want you to be happy, right? But with the kind of love that is centered upon God and that follows the boundaries for which the good God has given you good boundaries for the safety of the expression of the good things He's created for believers. So Paul says, But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, he's saying, put it away. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So let's talk about those words briefly. <clears throat> fornication, as you know, is... Physical intimacy without marriage. It's outside the context of marriage. But it also is physical intimacy with a person you're not married to when you are married. Sometimes the Bible calls that adultery, but fornication connects and embraces adultery. It's also physical relationship with the wrong gender. The wrong gender. All of these are embraced in the word fornication. And God wants us to understand clearly, although the world, the culture of Ephesus and the culture of our day is obsessed in pushing an agenda, even to the level of elementary age students that are using animated films to communicate the how and and the why that they should engage if they so desire into this activity. God goes on record to say, let it not be once named among saints. This is clear in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. Paul says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. What is God's will for my life? Someone may ask. Well, here's, here's one thing, right? That you abstain from fornication. This is the revelation of God's will for His people that it's not once named. We do not participate in this sin. Furthermore, Colossians chapter 3, when Paul 
rights of the resurrected life. If you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Because you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. You're dead to sin now. It doesn't have the dominion over you. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication is the first one. The word mortify means to, to slay, to deprive it of power. Don't give in to it. Now that can be a challenge in the culture we're living in, if we're just honest, right? It is broadcast. It is on neon signs all over the place. And it is engaged in regularly and routinely in our culture. But God says, don't let it be once named. Fornication. Secondly, all uncleanness. Now Paul moves from the physical sensuality to mental imaginations and the thoughts. For someone may say, well, I haven't done that physical thing. So now Paul moves to the mind and the thoughts. All uncleanness. Uncleanness here literally means filthy or dirty. But metaphorically here it means sensuality in the mind, in the affections, and in your thoughts. This word is often coupled with fornication as it is here. Fornication, all uncleanness. By the way, Paul uses the word all to embrace all. All of it. This is a broad word that embraces both the physical and internal. What we do with our minds and thoughts as it relates to sexuality. Galatians 5.19 For the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, fornication, uncleanness. Again in Colossians 3.4 Mortify there your, for your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness. You often see these together. Romans one twenty four, Paul uses the word to embrace both the physical and the mental side, the desires. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness of the lust of their own hearts. So there's the word uncleanness. So there it's internal. To the uncleanness of the desires of their own hearts. So the things going on in the mind and the heart, that's sensual, that's forbidden. And then he says, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So it moves from something inward, lust, desire, then it moves out to the body. And they dishonor their own bodies between themselves in the physical activity of illicit uh, sensuality, something God forbids. This word would embrace pornography. It would embrace what you do with your mind and your heart. God forbids all uncleanness. Over 40 million people in the U.S. regularly and routinely engage in that activity online. It's over a $5 billion industry. This industry, if we could call it that, is not content to let people find them. They will find you. And it's just as convenient and quick as easy as pulling your phone out of your pocket. Beloved, don't let it once be named among you. And God's going to give us two reasons, two sobering reasons 
why we should take what he says seriously. So fornication, all uncleanness, which means we're in a battle, right? We're engaging in spiritual warfare against the rulers of the darkness of this world. We're not wrestling each other. We're not wrestling the government. We're not wrestling liberalism. We're not wrestling with men. We're wrestling with principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness that we were once in. And it requires us to be vigilant and to put on the whole armor of God every day. Or like some of these Christians in Ephesus will be tugged back into the darkness. Takes full-time vigilance as a church together. But fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness. Now, it's interesting that Paul adds covetousness here. Covetousness can mean greedy desire for more money and wealth. That's forbidden in the Bible. But here he uses it in the context of sensuality. And he uses the word or, I think, to clue us in that he means covetousness here is kind of a root that gives rise to all uncleanness and fornication. All uncleanness or covetousness. Paul does the same thing in Colossians chapter 3. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, concupiscence, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So he kind of tracks these sensual sins right down to its root, which is covetousness, a greedy desire for more. Now when it concerns wealth, the key word is greedy. You may say, well, what's wrong with having more? Nothing, unless it's greedy. That simply means self-serving. Do you want more for yourself? Do you just want it all for you? That's covetousness. That's forbidden. But to have more for God-glorifying reasons can be good. You know, Oh, that you all would prosper for the sake of the kingdom, right? The key word's greedy, not more. Greedy. Self-centered, self-serving, selfish greed. Now put that in the context of sensuality. A selfish desire to go beyond the boundaries that God has given in marriage. And to have more. And to go beyond God's good boundaries. God's good fence in the backyard that keeps us safe and happy. And doing well in the Lord. Oh, beloved, don't climb over the fence. God has created the expression of intimacy for marriage, for God-glorifying reasons, to be engaged, and yes, to be enjoyed for the glory of His name. Don't go over the fence. Covetousness is idolatry. You see that in the 10th commandment in Exodus chapter 20, covetousness embraces both the wealth and the sensuality. Don't covet your neighbor's house i got to have a bigger house. It could be okay. It could not be okay. What's the motive? Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Sensuality. Wealth. Same word. A greedy desire for more. Love. A God-centered agape love. Stays within these boundaries that God has given. Human love goes beyond the boundaries and is consumed with this activity like Ephesus, the culture, and like our own culture. 
in what's been called by many as a sexual revolution. They will stop at nothing. Not just to engage in what they want to do. They want you to agree and get out of their way. And they want your children. Which is why they're bringing it to the elementary school age kids. Why? To push parents out of the way and to totally inoculate and to brainwash the society. But God says, let it not once be named. Now what does that mean? Let it not once be named as it becometh saints. Becometh means fitting, appropriate, suitable. It's not suitable, but Paul just named it. And of course, I just named it as well. So did Paul violate his own text? And have I violated Scripture? Well, to name it here, I suggest, means three things. First, very clearly, it means don't commit these acts. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says it's re- commonly reported among you in such a way that there's fornication among you, such fornication that was not so much as named among the Gentiles, that a man should have his father's own wife, which was his stepmother. So not named among the Gentiles, the unsaved, means what? They weren't doing that. That was taboo. So clearly Paul means that not to name it means not to participate. But secondly, not to name it means not to speak of it approvingly. Approvingly. It's not befitting for us to speak about the things that God forbids in an approving way, as if it's, it's okay. That's the way the world speaks. It's like, there's nothing wrong with this. Now, I know in every context, that means you don't have the opportunity to, to correct someone and, and to speak against it. But what Paul is saying is don't name it in an approving way. Because God does not approve of it. That's not befitting of saints To speak approvingly of something that God disapproves. And the two reasons why, beginning in verse 5, sheds light on that. What's God's attitude toward these things? Thirdly, we should not speak casually. We should not name it in a casual way. That means it's normalized. Now the world has done that and is doing it. Homosexuality. Even pornography is being normalized, like what's the big deal? We must never speak casually and normalize such sins. It's not becoming of the saints of God. So, how does this inform our entertainment Now, let me say at the beginning, I am not the movie Nazi. I'm not your movie policeman. It's not my job. But this text clearly informs us that if we are going to engage and listen to songs and watch movies that clearly approve and embrace and normalize it, we have to be careful, right? That may require us to check into a movie. Is this this something I need to see? See, God does not forbid entertainment. But what He forbids is for us to speak casually, normalize it, and approvingly. Now, those are just 
parameters, right? There's no law here. This is not a law. How should this inform how we view those things? That's something for us to ponder. Something for you to talk about. Maybe it's your next fellowship group. See? And I'm not creating some movie Nazi in the congregation here. So you can start bopping people over the head. We're asking, how does this inform me with regard to entertainment? Because the entertainment of the world has normalized it, has approved it, and they're very casual about everything that they do. So... Don't let it be named in that way from our lips because it's not becoming saints. Now, what does that mean, saints? Paul calls believers saints more than any other thing in the Bible. In fact, I don't think he calls them Christian. Acts Christian, Peter calls them Christian, but I don't think Paul calls a believer Christian. They're saints, hagios, holy. In Ephesians 1.4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. God made choice of a people that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. He predestinated to bring us into the family and adopt us. That's why you're no longer darkness. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, when giving instruction to the church, he uses the word, or to husbands rather, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He, Christ, might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water, with the Word, or by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Christ gave Himself for you to have you so that you would be holy and without blemish. Why? To present you faultless for the presence of His glory. That you could come into the divine presence of God. So Paul uses this word concerning saints. But what does it mean for God to be holy? God's holiness is His uniqueness, His purity, and His high regard that He has for His own name. When God is acting rightly with regard to His holiness, He is exalting it. He is defending it. He is jealous over it. He's magnified. When saints are acting becoming or suitable with regard to the glory of God, we are magnifying God's glory and His holiness, and we're not naming that which belittles His holiness as if we approve of it, and we're just casual. It's not a big deal. It's not befitting Saints, and if you're a believer, beloved, you are a saint right now. You've been made holy by the blood of Christ, and God is making you holy by conforming you to the image of His Son. It's not befitting. So that's the first three vices. But then Paul moves from the body to the mouth. Verse 4, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not Convenient, they're not proper. This is not proper for a saint. But rather giving of thanks. Filthiness is obscenity. We used that verse last Sunday. Obscene, vulgar language. But all three of these words are not just words. They're related to sensuality. See, 
It's vulgar communication that's related to sexuality. That's the connection with the second three, with the first three in Paul's list. Foolish talking means buffoonery. It's someone that's being silly and cutting up to make someone laugh. But here, it's with their words. They're using it as an occasion to be silly and funny with vulgar speech and speech that is explicitly sexual. And then jesting is a quick-witted cleverness. That's somebody that's kind of the life of the party. That's not a problem, except here it's being misused. It's a quick wit that has sexual connotation. It's that clever turn of words that's being used in the context of sensuality. This person's always the life of the party speaking in this sensual way. God says, Neither let filthiness, foolish talking, nor jesting be once named among you. Because you're a saint. You see what Paul is saying. You represent God. Your words speak something about God. Either that is right or that's really wrong. And so these words are not proper. They're not seemly. They're not, they're not fitting. They're crude. They're not right, God says. We just take what God says it is with His own word, right? This is what God's saying. This is the word of God saying to us. This is not the way. This is not why. This is not what I'm after. I purchased you with the precious blood of my son to have you. Your heart, your mind, your affections, your will, and your words are mine. They're mine. And that's glorious. That's not a bad thing. (laughs) They're yours, Lord. So Paul says, rather giving of thanks. Now this is a real interesting phrase here. The word rather is malon that means... Something that is what follows opposes something or does away with something. So that means this. Giving thanks does away with fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking, and jesting. Really? (laughs) I mean, imagine a conversation with the devil. Flee from me, devil. I'm going to thank you to death or how does giving thanks give us the power to struggle against to fight against and to do away with such speech in particular I want to answer that with the next two points in five and six I want to see a connection so hold on to that Make sure I come back to it. If I don't, just raise your hand and say, Brother Mike, you didn't tell us how giving thanks does that. Because that's really what I want to do. So hold that thought. Now verse 5. Here are the two reasons why. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness should not be once named among you as it becometh saints. Neither filthiness, foolish talking, nor jesting. Because you know this. No whoremonger which is a fornicator, no unclean person, nor covetous man. Those are the three same vices that Paul just mentioned that should not be named. Hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God or Christ and of God? 
Reason number one, you don't go to heaven. You don't. Do you hear what I'm saying? You don't get the inheritance. That's sobering. And God wrote this for His children that He loves. What is Paul saying? That I could go from being sealed in in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 14 to being unsealed? I can go from being converted to unconverted? I can go from being saved to unsaved? No. You are sealed unto the day of redemption. But your life is going to bear the fruit of who you are. Notice how Paul moves from actions to identity, right? Action, fornication. Identity, whoremonger. That's different, isn't it? Action, uncleanness. Identity, an unclean person. Action, covetousness. Identity, a covetous man. Why did he do that? Because the people in verse 5 are habitually given to these sins. It's their identity. Have you ever met a, a soldier whose identity was so much embraced in being a soldier that he's just wired and bent? You know, like the guy who heard of the Ukrainian conflict and he wants to get there as fast as he can. I'm like, what? Not dropping any names, but. That's someone that's wired that way. Paul is saying here, in a negative way, the man, the unclean person, and the covetous person is habitually given to it. But you're light. So the way we demonstrate that we're not habitually given is not that we've never done these things, right? Can anybody raise their hand and say, I've never coveted anything? No, the proof is you're no longer habitually given over to it. The person that's given to it has no inheritance. And if they stay that way, they don't go to heaven. And so Paul speaks to the Ephesian church that he loves and says, make the application. And don't go outside God's boundaries. You see how that's helpful and good and healthy for the people of God? Say, brother, you're scaring me to death. That's not what God's doing. He's keeping you safe, persevering in God's backyard. Because when you climb over the fence, there's real danger that's there. So don't prove to be darkness. Prove to be light and walk as children of light. Why is covetousness called idolatry? Because something is being given to someone or something else that belongs to God, right? Isaiah 42, verse 6, for example, the the chapter of of the Messiah. Isaiah there says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you. And will give you a covenant for the people, a light to lighten the Gentiles. Now Paul is writing to Gentiles and Jews that Gentiles are now part of the covenant. That was the mystery that's being revealed by the gospel. So Jesus will be given as a light to lighten the Gentiles. What's he going to do? Open their eyes. Bring them out of the darkness and out of the prison house of darkness. 
And that's what Paul said. You were sometimes darkness. What's the Messiah done? He's rescued you from the darkness. Verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven image. Now here's the question. What were you doing in the darkness that was giving the glory and the praise of God to images? You were seeking to gratify your own soul with something created. When God recovers His own glory, And gives that which is rightfully His. He brings people into the light of His glory. He reveals Himself in Christ. And He overcomes their self-serving gratification. So that now, they're fighting it. It's not gone yet, is it? When once you were habitually given to it, you were the covetous man, you were the unclean person, you were the whoremonger. Christ has rescued you. And brought you into the light. And God secures His own glory. Or as Paul says, we were serving diverse lust and pleasures. How do you do that? You find something created that will gratify your lust and pleasure. That's what we did in the darkness. Now the person that is habitually given to that is still in darkness. And if they remain in darkness... They don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now that's reason number one. And that's a pretty good reason, right? See, the warnings of the Bible are good for God's people. It helps us not do what? Verse 6. It helps us not... To be deceived with vain words. Look at verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now that's reason number two. We should not let it once be named. We should stay away from it. Not because we think, well, I'm going to lose something that I had. No, because what we have in the light is proven by the fact that we're not habitually dominated. By these vices. Doesn't mean you can't do them again. Doesn't mean you don't struggle with any of these sins. It means you're not habitually consumed. Okay? Let no man deceive you. What is the deception connected, the empty words connected with the wrath of God? God is not like that. He's a God of love. He wouldn't harm anybody. Wrath? That's rubbish. And then what happens? You're deceived. And then what happens? You're drawn into the very lifestyle that the people are telling you. God is love. He wants you to be happy, right? Yeah. yeah. This is what you want to do, right? Yeah, there's something in us. Yeah, yeah. Then go for it. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words because wrath is really coming. You see the reason God wants us to apply as His children? The wrath of God is coming upon the children of disobedience. Now, Paul has already said this, used this phrase, children of disobedience, once to give us more insight as to what He means by that. And here we're going to connect after this 
children of disobedience, covetousness, which is idolatry, with giving thanks. We're going to go back to that. In chapter 2, you remember, as we read this morning, and you, Athi, quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. What does that mean? It means this. When we all walked in time past, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the children of disobedience. Wrath is coming on the children of disobedience. Why? Because of their spirit. What is it? Ephesians 2, 3. Among whom we all had our conversation or lifestyle in times past. Here's the spirit. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind and of the flesh. And were by nature children of wrath, just like everyone else. By nature means you were born that way. You were born. You came from the womb a child of wrath, just like everybody else. What is the spirit that is now working in our culture that was at work in that culture? It's the spirit of fulfilling and trying to accomplish or to gratify the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And that self-gratification means wrath. Wrath. Don't let anybody deceive you, beloved. Do you see Paul's argument? He gives two reasons why. So both the covetous man, his problem is what? Self-gratification. In the darkness, he is trying to gratify his own soul with whatever and whomever he can. He's habitually governed by it. And the children of disobedient, the spirit, is a spirit of self-gratification. Trying to find fulfillment for their desires. And their longings and their cravings. And that's what you were in the darkness. And that's what I was. Now what's the connection with Thanksgiving? How can Thanksgiving overcome that? Because the deeper root word of gratification is gratus. Latin. Which means what? Thankfulness. Pleasing contentment. The power of thanksgiving is the power of being satisfied and finding contentment in Christ the Savior. That's your power. Paul's is not talking about platitudes of lips, being thankful. He's talking about a heart that's in love with Jesus and that goes back to Him as the power to overcome These vices that we struggle with and it's all around us and that we're inundated with. With the power that overcomes self-gratification of the covetous man or the self-gratification of trying to find fulfillment in creation but finds in Christ alone a joy and a peace and a gratification for the soul, gratis, that gives birth to thanks. Even Paul in verse 20 says what? Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks for all things. Not just in it. Thessalonians says in all things here. For it. Because in everything that you pass through, beloved, God is at work to bring you greater enjoyment 
in Him. Do you believe that? See, I thought He was making us a partaker of His holiness. Yeah? What is that? Oh, that means I'm going to be more like Christ. Yes. And what's Christ's experience of God the Father? Absolute delight. How can we be like the Savior and have no experience of what the Savior experiences in the Father? God's whole aim in testing you and trying you and whatever He brings into your life is to wean you from the world and to bring you closer into God the Father so that you experience delight and peace. And so even when things don't go well, when we think right, we can give thanks. We can rejoice. Or as Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Not because of what happens. Not because everything is good. It's not. But because in everything, God is working for your ultimate good. And that's glorious, isn't it? Thanksgiving is a heart that has gratitude, that has contentment, that says Christ is enough for me. And that struggles against these vices where they struggle in pursuing Christ in such a way that it yields thanksgiving. And then giving of thanks becomes the power to do away again and again and again to battle the lust of the flesh. Do we still have inordinate desire, wrong desire? Yes. Thanks be to God, we have victory. So what's the conclusion? Be not ye therefore partakers of what? Six vices, why? There's no inheritance and wrath is coming. You don't partake with them. Why? Because you're now light. See? Paul's not suggesting you you people are still in the same darkness you are. He said, no, you've been brought out of the light. So be light and walk as children of light. Now, I'm going to close on this and stop here. How then do we escape the wrath that is to come? Right? Nobody can look at this list and say, well, you know, you'll never find me in those six vices. Nobody here. And if you're too young to be there yet, it's going to come. Now, that's not excusing you. That's just reality. You, you will be tripped up by covetousness. And if there's anybody that here can look at the list and say, well, I've, you know, I've never done any of that external stuff. Well, maybe your vice is you're a Pharisee. You're resting in your own goodness. You're the kind of person who says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not like these other people. I mean, I've done some bad, I haven't done that much. See, what you need to understand is that no amount of purity will help you escape wrath. You could never commit fornication and you still won't escape wrath. You could say, I've never uttered a filthy word out of my mouth. I'm sorry, that'll never help you. You still won't escape the wrath of God. Nothing you could ever do, nothing you could ever refrain from saying, nothing you could ever refrain from doing is going to help you escape the wrath of God. What is going to help us? Verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved you. And hath given himself for you. An offering 
and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. This is the best news that you could ever hear. Why? Because we were all destined for wrath. We're all guilty. We all have come short of the glory of God. You're a transgressor of His law. You've coveted. You're a lawbreaker. Not just one of them. Your whole person is a law-breaking person. How then can we escape? Christ gave Himself. The reflexive pronoun indicates He was willing. Nobody forced Him. He gave Himself for you. Jesus said, I laid down my life and may take it again. Nobody takes it from me. Don't, don't look at the scene of the gospel and say, well, he was helpless. I mean, the people were, he couldn't get away. You remember when they said, whom seek you? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. When all the, the soldiers and all their armor came to get him, he said, I am he. And they all fell backwards. Just an indicator. Nobody's taking Jesus. The whole gospel story is under his sovereignty. He holds out his hands as if to say, chain me. It has been predetermined what I must do. He gave himself willingly because he loves you. Amazingly. He loves covetous people. He loves unclean people. He loves whoremongers. He loves people that watch pornography. Yes. He gave Himself an offering and a sacrifice. Isaiah 53, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or our peace was upon Him. By His stripes we were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned our own way. What way is that? The way of self-gratification. Every person in this room, every person on the planet has each turned to their own way of gratification. I mean, your way was not my way. And my way was not your way. But it was rooted in covetousness. I was just trying to suck in the wind and get as much out of life for me. That's going astray. The Lord hath laid upon him your iniquity. Laid means to, to meet, to land. Fornication, covetousness, and uncleanness. The guilt of it landed on him. The guilt of it. He never did that. He didn't become that in the sense of a literal sense. The guilt of your sin landed squarely on the shoulders of the Christ. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering of sin, that, that phrase there means when he makes himself an offering, because he gave himself, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. All that to say Christ was a willing sacrifice. It pleased the Lord, and the expression here is a sweet-smelling saver. He smelled, as if it were, the sweet aroma and the fragrance of the crucifixion, and it gave him pleasure. Why? Because Christ gave Himself first for the glory of God the Father. To vindicate the righteousness of God. And secondly, He gave Himself to have the covenant people that God had marked out for Him. Thereby pleasing God supremely. 
Because he magnified and exalted the supremacy of God in all that he did and in his death. And now he's ascended to the right hand of the throne on high. Beloved, that's how you escape wrath. You trust in Jesus Christ. We escape it first by being justified. God has declared us right. Who does He declare right? God, by His own words and His own mouth, says He's just and the justifier of Him which believes in Jesus. He does not justify unbelievers. Now, some people will tell you He does. I justify the believer, God says. So you need to trust Jesus. You need to flee to Christ. What's keeping you from it? What excuses have you made? Say, well, election's keeping me from it. No, it's not. Well, it's a new birth. Nope. It's your own will that keeps you from it. God declares you right when trusting in Jesus Christ. The whole aim of Quickening is to bring you to faith and belief in Jesus Christ. So trust Him. And then secondly, we have escaped His wrath once for all, never to be repeated. And now we're escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust. How? Because God is sanctifying us, making us holy by the same faith in Christ. Paul says you're light in the Lord. That means you've been united to Him. And by virtue of His life, now you have the power. To be overcomers. You have overcome in Christ. You're not under wrath anymore. You can please God. Sometimes Christians kind of mix that up. Say, well, you can't please God. Yes, you can. Proving what is acceptable to the Lord. By being united to Christ and trusting in Him, now God is sanctifying us and empowering us to fight those vices and to draw closer and closer to Him as He brings us into His everlasting kingdom. Where there's glory and honor and joy and pleasure forever. So beloved, hear the words of Ananias to Saul of Tarsus. Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins. The baptism didn't wash them away. Christ had washed away his sins. And as an act of obedience to Christ, he arose up and was baptized. And now... He walked in newness of life. That's what God is calling us to as His children. You were sometimes darkness, now you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So may God help us not to name these vices in an approving way and to guard and to fight against them because Christians can still commit all these sins. To be free from sin doesn't mean you can't do them. It means you're free from it ruling you. And let us remember the reason. There's no inheritance for people that are habitually, habitually committing those acts. And the wrath of God is coming on a spirit that lives for one thing and one person alone. Self-gratification. That's what you were. Now, you're light. Walk as children of light. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word.